and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Professor Alison Leary, MBE, who is the Chair of the Healthcare and Workforce Modelling at LSBU and also the Community Nursing Observatory for the Queen's Nursing Institute. So thank you so much, Alison, for joining me today. Nice to be here. I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. Why did you decide to become a nurse? Uh, well, I was an engineer for about 10 years. Oh, wow. So um, I, I was <laughs> I was actually an apprentice rocket scientist. <laughs> wow. So I, I was an electrical engineer. Um, uh, so I was an apprentice. And then I worked in biomedical engineering. And then um, I sort of worked in, in lots of places that were quite technical. And nursing is actually quite a lot like engineering. So um, it's quite, you know, people applying knowledge to solve real world problems, really. And that, that's a lot of what engineering is. So it, it wasn't actually that different. <laughs> and I've always liked science um, and maths. So for me, it was it was quite a nice fit, you know. Um, and, and, you know, engineering is also a lot of engineering is, is very much about people because you're looking at real world issues that people face. Um, they, they tend to be a different sort of work, real world issue, but they're still real world issues. So for me, it was actually just a sort of natural transition, really. Wow, you might be my first uh, engineer and uh, apprentice rocket scientist on the podcast. <laughs> so thank you. Um, and what was your first job when you qualified? When I first qualified, um, I had a, a place, final placement on an oncology ward. And I never really thought about oncology. I, I assumed I'd go into something probably quite technical, like ITU or something. Mm. But um, I worked in oncology and I really, really liked it. Um, it. They were a great team. I liked the culture of oncology. It was a lot more kind of open and it was a lot more person-centred. So that was my first job. I got a job uh, in the oncology ward at, at St Thomas's Hospital. So it was it was very varied. We had people with lots of different types of cancer. Um, so solid tumours, haematology, um, we'd give chemotherapy, you know. But it was also a lot of the pe- patients were people that we looked after over uh, weeks or years. So, you know, they kept coming back. So you could really establish a, a really good therapeutic relationship with them. Um, you learn a little bit about their lives, what was important to them. And, and that was why it was actually a really nice place to work. And you raised a really good point about the culture within an area and how that might not be something that's considered when we're and it's hard to find that out, isn't it? If you're just applying for a job online, yeah. how do you know what that culture is or whether you fit? Um, I think sometimes, especially as students, people can be so specific about specialities, can't they? Okay. And like, I'm really into ITU or I'm and it's like, but actually depend that culture has an impact on whether you like that job whether you love that job whether you see yourself doing that job for another shift or another you know for the rest of your career yeah that's a really important point to remember yeah absolutely and you know because I have um lots of people that are about to qualify asking us about going into the community and you know I think that there's been a myth about you know you have to work in a hospital first before Mm -hmm. you go to the community or general practice and I would say that is that's true that's a myth but because general practice and community are so 
um, can be quite isolating for people. Mm. The people work on their own a lot of the time. I would say choose your employer very well. So if you're about to qualify, look for things like, you know, proper preceptorship programs. It doesn't matter if it's community or hospital. Um, talk to other people that have, have gone to work in those places and see if see if you think it'll be a good fit for you. Um, because sometimes people just, just have different personalities and people, you know, have different experiences of work. So it, it's always good to do a bit of work. And, and also, you know, it, it's it's a seller's market. There are 50,000 nursing vacancies. So, you know, don't be afraid to shop around a bit and, and get yeah, what's right, going to be right for you. Yeah. And I remember actually I did an informal visit before a job interview and went there and all of the staff were agency on that shift yeah so that's a big and, red flag yeah and spoken <laughs> there was one permanent staff and I was like oh do you recommend it like what CPD have you done like just trying to get a bit yeah. of a, a feel and she was like I've never done any CP you know there's no funding for courses I've worked here for years I'm the only one that pretty much is still here kind of regularly don't work here <laughs> I left yeah like, yeah thank you very much for the advice <laughs> that's very honest actually <laughs> really honest I look back and I think oh for some you know just a stranger's come up to her and said what do you think to kind of divulge so much but I yeah. think the sellers the sellers market is really yeah yeah so you've got a very marketable nursing but the, the work of registered nurses is very very marketable there is a global nursing shortage and there is a shortage in England, particularly of registered nurses. So yeah, it's a seller's market. Don't don't be afraid to um, ask for what you need. And what did you do after your um, oncology role? I worked in oncology and haematology for quite a long time, uh, and I had different sorts of jobs. Uh, so I, I worked in um, uh, daycare in haematology you used to do transplants ambulatory transplants um and i worked in a, a sort of uh, I, I did a lot of research so i did clinical trials i did a phd in oncology um so i did, I did a phd in medicine i did a postgraduate uh, medical um, degree and i did that in lung cancer so after that um I started to work more academically because it's still a bit of a challenge to have a clinical academic career in nursing. Mm -hmm. So I used to do some work for something called the National Cancer Action Team. Um, and we did a lot of the strategic work for cancer. So um, we would look at workforce issues. We used to do a census of work of cancer nurses and other workers, actually, and um, model things like um, waiting times and the effect that they would have on, on people's outcomes. So that, that was a great place to work. I mean, it, it was disbanded by Andrew Lancely in the reforms of the Health and Social Care Act. Um, but it was, yeah, so I've done I've done everything in oncology from, you know, direct patient care um, to case management as a CNS to an advanced practice um, to research to strategic and, and political work so it's been quite a varied oncology career. Very and did you always know that you wanted to get into research and that you wanted to study at that level was that something that that you always knew you wanted to do? Well because I've got a background in science so maybe not so much engineering, but, but science, certainly, everybody, it, it's expected. Mm. Um, and I think 
in nursing, it researches. So when I went to university to study nursing, it was a bit different. Um, and we were taught research methods, um, not research. Yeah, yeah. As I understood it. <laughs> so generally, when you learn as a scientist to be a researcher, it's really about questions and, and curiosity and things like that. Um, and I think maybe just learning the methods without understanding why you're doing it or, or maybe relating to why you're doing it in the real world, like evidence-based practice, it becomes a bit sort of detached, a bit of an abstract concept. Um, whereas in, in science, you know, we would, or engineering, we would use the evidence. And that's where we'd start with research. Yeah, um, it's a very different perspective. Yeah, so we'd, you know, you'd, you'd be able to critically appraise research. Um <clears throat> But then if you're interested, you start doing it and that's how you would learn to do it. So it was a very different way of doing it. Um, but I, I did probably always expect to go into research, yeah, because I, I was a scientist and that's, that's part of our normal culture. And have you got any advice for anyone that is thinking about, take, uh, you know, applying to do some research or being involved in research in their place of work? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of ways to get into research. I think people think that they've got to take on a piece of research. Mm. And of course you don't. So um, there are lots of ways to get into research. One of the ways, I mean, at the moment, we're, we're running a study with the University of East Anglia and the University of Staffordshire, <clears throat> where we're looking for people to be on our steering group who are in, fr who are in frontline board-based practice um, because they'll help us understand the reality of work as done. So you can, you can join a steering group like that. Um, you know, to be part of research, even if you don't want to actually undertake it. There's the way you can use evidence. There's um, in, in your um, teaching, for example, when, you, when you've got students, is what you're teaching evidence-based? That, that's another way of integrating research into practice. Um, and then there's participating in research. So, you know, there's lots of different ways people can, can be involved in research without having to take on, you know, being a, an investigator um, or running their own research project. I think that's forgotten, isn't it? We, we're we so in an evidence-based practice and what we teach and when we have students, regardless of, you know, your role, whether that's clinical, whether that's academic, you know, wherever you are in that kind of teaching cycle, I guess. Yeah. I think we can yeah. kind of forget about that, that evidence-based practice because it's so second nature that that's what we're doing constantly. So that's yeah, a really absolutely. important point to know. But, but it probably isn't to students. So it, yeah, it's a great true. way to, to think about how you're applying research, um, not just doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I have a lot, um, I teach a lot on the TNA uh, Nursing Associate Programme. Oh, right. And um, we have lots of people that have been, you know, maybe healthcare assistants, 20, 25. I've got one that's been one for 27 years. Oh, wow. And the first thing we always hear at induction is, wow. I know this already. Um, and it's, and it's, and it, and it is, but that is that evidence-based practice. It's that applying that research. It's the knowing why. It's the not, you know, that yes. kind of the whole debate about task orientated and how we look at actions behind or reasons behind kind of actions and care delivery. Um, but you can really see that change in them um, when we look at, you know, why we're looking up the research and where we get that information from. Right. Um, so yeah, really good point. Yeah. Um, so this series is all about leadership. So you've been in a, in a really kind of wide variety of roles throughout your career. Have you got any advice for anyone that's in a leadership position? 
Um, I've never really been a formal leader, I don't think. So it, it's it's a yeah. Um, I think leadership is a is a sort of a bit of a, a tenuous term, really. So um, and for me, there's there's a quote about you know if you help people be more and do more and um, and become who they want to be, that that's being a leader. So I think a lot of people equate leadership with management. Um, but things like being a role model, um, being able to encourage people. So the people I I felt were good leaders to me, because it's also important sometimes to be a follower. Um, so followership is actually quite quite important. Are people who have been generous with their time, generous with their experience, um, if, if supported me, you know, and and helped me um, achieve what I want to achieve. So that for me is what what good leadership looks like. It, it's people that help facilitate others to be where they want to be and, and do what they they need to do. Um, it, it's not necessarily about you know managing a budget or um, yeah. being in charge of the world or you know doing a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, which is what a lot of people think it is. I think. Yeah. And I think finding someone to help facilitate or even knowing where you want your career to go can sometimes be really difficult. And particularly if you can't see someone maybe in a role around you yeah. that you think actually that's what interests me or there's that support there. Um, that's That can be quite difficult, can't it? Yeah, and that's why it's important to go out and find people. So it's pretty unlikely they're going to come to you. Mm. If you're lucky, your paths might cross. But if you want if you want something and you think someone can help you, you know, you can, don't be afraid to reach out to people. If, if they're too busy, they'll say no. And don't take that to heart either. Yeah, yeah, that can be. And actually, I found even from asking people to be guests on the podcast, Twitter's become my, um, was never a Twitter-y person before at all, but the amount of connections that you make and kind yeah. of the people you can be in contact with, which you might have never, you know, yeah, had your, had your paths crossed before. Yeah, that, so there are lots of opportunities, you know, the um, even you know, from being a student, the Council of Deans have their, you know, 150 Leaders Programme. There's, you know, um, the, the different charities have got different sorts of programmes that can support people into leadership and leadership roles. In nursing, there's this curious thing that management is seen as clinical leadership when it isn't always um, and one of the things I think we've lost in nursing actually is clinical leadership. So, um, you know, posts like matrons posts are really about performance and, and targets and, you know, compliance rather than being clinical leadership posts about best practice and, and facilitating best practice. And that's because of the stress on the system, mostly, I think. Um, so if you can't get that at work then, you know, find find it somewhere else, you know, find a, a coach or a mentor or or somebody that can support you. There's there's quite a lot now on, on clinical supervision, which is great. Um, having that, being able to reflect on things that happen is a way that we, that, that is one of the reasons nursing is a safety critical workforce because reflection in action. So you mentioned about the, the, the TNAs and they already know how to do the task. But it isn't enough to do the task. You have to be able to know the task and the reason behind it. And then you can use it in many different situations. And importantly, know not when not to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's discriminative judgment. And we we develop that through things like reflection in action. 
Um, but those things are quite often neglected in nursing. People, you know, don't really have the opportunity to do that, but they're actually really important. Thank you. Um, and also you're the Director of International Community Nursing Observatory for the Queen's Nursing Institute. Do you yeah. mind just telling us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so the um, QNI is the world's oldest nursing charity. Um, and it really looks after people that work in the community and that's any setting. So, you know, prisons, schools, district nursing, general practice, hospices, anywhere. Um, so what we do is we perform an analytical function. So we, we help people with um, research and we look at um, a lot of a lot of routinely collected data. So one of the questions we've been asking recently is there's um, the on the NMC register, you can annotate the district nursing qualification. So if you if you complete the DNSPQ, it's actually annotated on the NMC register. There are about 14,000 people with that qualification. And yet there are only 4,000, less than 4,000 people working in the NHS with that qualification. Okay. So we wanted to know where all those people have gone. Um, so the NMC keep, when you revalidate, you have the option to put in your employer. So we pulled out the 725,000 records wow. of employment. Just, just a small amount of data, <laughs> teeny tiny. <laughs> um, and we looked at where people had gone and, you know, and there are a big chunk of people still working in for employers that employ district nurses. But a lot of people have gone to areas like general practice or schools um, or, or back to hospitals, actually. So it's interesting to find out where all the people with the DNSPQ qualification had gone. Um, and have you got any advice for any student nurses at the moment? So I would say that, you know, I think things are very difficult. They've probably been the most difficult that they've been for a very long time, actually. But I would say that nursing is an incredibly um, skilled and very, very diverse career. So once, once you once you're qualified as a registered nurse, there are many, many different options. And I think a lot of people we're seeing in the data that people aren't staying very long in the profession. They're leaving after about 18 months. Um, but it's actually a really rewarding career. And sometimes it's better to change employers mm. if you're not being treated well um, than to give up on something you love and regret it later. Which is which is what a lot of people seem to do. So you know, remember that thing about it being a seller's market. You've got a really good skill set. Um, there is huge demand globally for nurses, and that's going to continue to grow. So you know, the other thing I would say is is value yourselves and value each other. Nursing is quite um, nursing can be quite harsh, and nurses can be quite harsh to each other. <laughs> So I, I would say, you know, value what you do and, and value what your colleagues do. Yeah, I think I think particularly when we look at nurses being harsh to each other, I think that might be one of the biggest understatements, mightn't it? I think <laughs> as a profession, we're um, we're not always very kind, are we? Um, to, no. To each other. <laughs> and particularly when it's such a difficult place to work and such a difficult time to be a nurse. I think that's yes. something that, that we really need to kind of restore that balance just so it's not on all fronts um yeah. that, that it's difficult um i think that's something we can all take from that <clears throat> thank you um and my last question for you for today's episode where do you see your career going forward or where do you see the work that you're doing at the moment going forward well i'm sort of coming to the end of my career now 
So um, I have a few more years, but 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 probably not that many. Um, and I work across a lot of different industries. I don't just work in healthcare. So for me, that's quite nice. So I, I get to do lots of different things. And I quite like what I'm doing um, now. So I'm focusing perhaps more on what my legacy will be than where my career will go. And, and supporting people like early career researchers to, to take over from me because I'm not going to be around forever. So that that's really the focus of my career. And we spend a lot of our careers looking forward. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've now reached the point where I'm, I'm looking backwards and, and looking at who's going to take over from me when I've gone. Yeah, yeah. Which the session plan is always very important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for giving all of your um, advice and your wisdom to everyone listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. 